2: Welcome to Here We Are. I'm your host, Lucy Weston. Thank you for joining us for today's topic: much to do about divorce. Positioning yourself before you ask or are asked. If you are remotely considering this option, or if you were recently served with divorce papers, this should be very enlightening. My special guest tonight, September 13th, 2009 is attorney Judith Hartz. She's here to offer some guidance during this stressful time. Judy is a partner at the law firm Kazira and & Hartz, and she has been specializing in the area of family law for 19 years. In 2005, she won the Family Lawyer of the Year Award. She has co-authored several articles on the issue of custody, as well as serving as an editor at the New Jersey Family Lawyer Publication. You can read more about her practice at www. KaziraHearts.com, and I am going to spell that for you. That's K O Z Y R A H A R T is in Thomas, Z is in Zebra.com.
1: KaziraHearts.com. Welcome, Judy. Can you tell us a little bit more about your practice? I sure can, Lucy, and thank you for having me on your show. I'm well, so my... glad you're here. Well, my practice is, really, is uh, in Essex County, New Jersey. The majority of my practice is devoted to family law and related matters. I handle divorce cases. I also handle premarital agreements, separation agreements, cases involving child support and custody and parenting time issues. And I've been doing quite a bit of work in the uh, area of medi- mediation for the last several years as well, which I find to be a lot of fun.
2: And that's a growing um, area in this in this the whole issue from pre from prenuptial all the way through divorce and custody correct
1: oh it really is and mediation is becoming more and more popular in many jurisdictions including in the state of new jersey
2: all right, Bye. before we go on, Judy, I just want to alert the listeners that we have a lot of information to cover. So if we have time for calls, it will be towards the end of the show. And also I am not opening the chat room. I have a quick disclaimer and then we're going to be on our way with Judy. This legal information is prepared and is being presented by Here We Are as a service to its readers and listeners and is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to constitute legal advice. It is not meant to substitute for competent legal counsel from a licensed attorney in your state. You should neither act nor rely on any of the information without first consulting a lawyer who will apply the current laws to your specific circumstance or situation. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, listeners, because there is so much to do about divorce, the first part of the show is focusing on what to do before you ask for a divorce. Okay, Judy, tell us what to do first.
1: Okay, well, every case involves either one, some, or all of the following issues. Okay, custody and parenting time issues cases involving children obviously involve custody and parenting time issues there are also financial issues involved in most divorce cases wait, 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 wait,
2: custody and parenting time meaning the time they're going to get to spend with the children
1: right, first there's custody, who are the children going to live with? are they going to live primarily with mom or primarily with dad? and there are different types of custody there's residential custody, there's legal custody and they may have different names depending upon the particular jurisdiction in which the litigants live. So custody is the first issue that you need to focus on when you, when you have children involved in a divorce case.
2: And, and what if there's, there's no children? No children? Mm-hmm. But
1: financial issues okay. are the main focus. And that can range from spousal support to the division of property to the payment of debts. So if there are financial issues involved in a case, the most important thing you need to do is to have an accurate picture of your finances. Gather all of the documents relating to the assets in your marital estate. That means gather deeds to real property. Gather mortgage documents that relate to both properties. Find out what the outstanding balances on the mortgage or mortgages are. Find out about the retirement assets that you have or that your spouse may have. Are there 401K plans? Are there 403B plans? Do you or your spouse have a pension? Do you or your spouse have an annuity? Is there life insurance? Is there a cash surrender value relating to the life insurance? Do you have bank accounts?
2: So this is quite a bit of information as far as documentation that you would, before you you ask, you would have to start to gather. And this could take months.
1: Oh, it, it really could. And you know what? That really depends upon how involved you are in your family's finances. Let's say, for example, you're the one who's in charge of paying all of the monthly bills associated, associated with your marital estate. Mm-hmm. You're the one who writes checks. You're mm-hmm. the one who pays the bills. Uh, you're the one who's primarily responsible for filling out mortgage applications, filling out credit card statements and things like that. It'll probably be easier for you, as that individual, to gather all of the financial documentation. But if what haven't...
2: if... What if you're uh, so many couples, one person handles the finances and the other one doesn't, and you're the one who wants to file for a divorce, but you're not handling it? I suppose it's, it, it really behooves you to then make the list, you know, just start with what you just gave. I mean, there Absolutely. are at least 10 or uh, things there, and start to just make a tick list. Every time you find something, check it off mm-hmm. and make a copy and put it somewhere safe and so you have it, because what are you going to do with all these documents after you gar- gather them?
1: Well, and let's go back to what you just said. Okay. In terms of making a list, uh, what I would say if you're planning on getting divorced and you're not as familiar with the finances in your marriage, to be proactive, to actively seek out the information. Perhaps ask your spouse questions if you're not sure about their retirement plans at work. Gee, do you have a 401K plan? How much do you contribute each year? Is there a pension? Just to, to, get, to gather all of the documentation and information that you may need to take to your attorney's office.
2: So you're, you're becoming your own detective in some instances.
1: That's right. That's right. And that also dovetails into the, the next piece of information that I think is important, creating a budget for yourself. Okay. Thinking about what you're going to need once you are separated or divorced. What are you going to need to live on? Think about where you want to live. If you have children, do you want to stay in the house? How much will it cost you to stay in the house? Will you need to refinance the mortgage? Well, you need to buy out your spouse? Those are all the types of questions that you need to start thinking about. If you're not going to live in the same house or you're going to sell the house, where are you going to go? What's your rent going to be or the mortgage going to be on the next piece of property you buy? You need to start creating a budget for yourself. So there's
2: quite a bit of work to do.
1: There is. There is.
2: And this is before you even sit down with the attorney.
1: Right, just to have a sense of, of what... What your plan is,
2: you what want to see the is big. Now, the, what your budget's
1: the, going to be. So
2: you're saying the budget and all of these assets and debt documents and information is basically the big picture of where you're at. Because if you don't know where you're at, you don't know where the, you're going. You don't know where you're going and where you're going to end up. And we all hear, you know, everybody's heard a horror story about somebody who ended up with nothing after a divorce. Right. So you want to prevent that.
1: Mm-hmm. You're proactive. You're not going to be that individual. If you seek all of the right information and gather documents, that's not likely to occur. Alicia, okay,
2: so, so we've gathered the document We've done a budget. We've, we, now we know our assets and our debts. We've done an investigation. We've collected copies. We, and they all have to be fairly current. You want to have recent things, too. Um, now we're going to meet with an attorney. How do you find the right one?
1: Well, what I would say is to check with your local or state bar association. They maintain a list of, of attorneys who actively practice in the area of family law, and I would suggest that you hire an attorney who specializes in that area, an attorney who has a significant amount of experience with the judges in your particular jurisdiction and the laws in your particular jurisdiction. That's so important. So you don't
2: want to go to your real estate attorney or the guy who does traffic accidents or DWIs down at the local uh, uh, town hall. Okay. (laughs)
1: Not advisable. (laughs) <laughs> Not Even though they may practice a bit in the area, it's better to to hire someone who specializes in the area.
2: Now, I, and and I guess it's okay when you call to ask certain questions. What what's the first two questions someone who's seeking an attorney should ask of an attorney when you you because it's sort of you're, you're interviewing them. They're going to be working for you.
1: Absolutely, the first question I, I would ask is if how much of their practice is devoted to the area of family law.
2: So that's not an insulting question. That's a that's a legitimate question to ask.
1: It, it absolutely is, and the attorney okay. may not be insulted by that question at all. And the second question is, how many years have they been practicing, and have they handled cases similar to yours, and would they feel comfortable handling your case? Those are all fair questions to ask. Now, what if you had a prenuptial,
2: and you're going to file for divorce? You ha- you have the prenuptial, you know what it says. You worked, you know, you both signed it. Is it advisable to go back to the attorney who did the prenuptial, or should you go to somebody new, or does it not matter? Any any feelings about
1: that? I mean, it may not it may not be a bad idea to go back to that attorney, but what I find is very often people, say, enter into a prenuptial agreement in a different jurisdiction. Maybe they entered into the prenuptial agreement in Wisconsin, and now they're living in Connecticut or New Jersey or California. So that may not be possible. So...
2: That's an interesting point. I never thought about that. Right. If you've moved and it's, yeah, the state would be, with well, the state you're living in or it's the marital, so I guess it's the state where you, is it, is it the state you got married in or where you set up your primary mar- marital residence?
1: Well, that's a good question, but it's typically where you've resided for a certain period of time. I mean, I can speak about New Jersey if you've lived in New Jersey for a year, you can file for divorce in the state of New Jersey, with some exceptions to that rule. But we don't need to get into the jurisdictional requirements. But okay. for the most part, it's where you're residing at that time. And if it's not the appropriate jurisdiction, the attorney with whom you consult can tell you that.
2: So we did, we've done what we've done. The budget, we have the assets and the debts. We've met and, and hired an attorney. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay. Now, let me just talk about this, and every, every attorney works differently. Are, are divorce cases contingency, or are they pretty much you're going to have to open your checkbook?
1: For the most part, divorce attorneys charge by the hour. They don't work on a contingency basis. I don't know about other jurisdiction jurisdictions, but I know in New Jersey, divorce attorneys are not allowed to charge clients on a contingency basis.
2: Okay, that's a, good, that's, a, that's a very good tip to know. So uh, that's another thing you really need to expect, and also figure into your budget.
1: Absolutely, and you know what, that's a fair question to ask the attorney that you meet with. What can I expect in terms of legal bills if I move forward? What should I budget? What should I start saving, or what do I need to contemplate paying as a retainer in the event that I move forward with my divorce case?
2: Now, would custody be a separate bill, or it, it, can you combine it into the whole thing,
1: you can combine it into the whole thing. Typically, the the attorney will handle the custody and parenting time issues as well as the financial issues. So that would be part and parcel of the entire divorce case,
2: and that okay. would be
1: part of the retainer agreement.
2: So, all right, you've got all this going on. You know you're going to serve uh, papers at the,
1: at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there is there you can't have pie in the sky ideas. That's right. You need to set reasonable expectations uh, for yourself. You don't. You can't expect to get everything you want. For example, let's just say you haven't worked during the marriage and your spouse is the uh, primary uh, wage earner. You can't expect to get his entire paycheck paid to you as support after the divorce is over. What you're you're doing is taking one household and splitting it into two, and there's only so much money to go around, and you're not going to be the one getting all of the money. That just wouldn't be fair.
2: You know, it's um, in this economy, I've heard through uh, the grapevine of a couple of people I know that want to actually get divorced and can't afford to do it
1: right? because right. they can't
2: split the, the household up. So they're living, uh, one person in particular, one's living in the, the downstairs den area and she's living in the house too and they're going about their business, but they're basically roommates. They know they're going to divorce, right? but they just can't afford to do it.
1: Right. In today's economy, that's not uncommon, especially where... Say one party's lost their job or they've experienced a the wage reduction. Um, they just can't afford to get divorced, and they have to wait it out. And what I tell people in that circumstance is to come up with a plan of action. Maybe they, maybe they need to wait, and in the meantime they need to pay off some debt. Uh, one of them needs to look for a, for a job or get a part-time job, finish school, uh, get their, their credit in check so that they're in a situation where they can ultimately file for divorce.
2: So many things to consider. It's, just, it's not just the, the primary relationship of, of husband and wife. I mean, obviously, it's a whole life-changing experience.
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, a non-financial issue to think about in terms of keeping your expectations in check is, you know, uh, let's say your spouse hasn't been the most active parent. Maybe he's worked uh, a large amount of hours and traveled a lot, and now you're getting divorced, and that, that spouse, your, your husband, is seeking time with your children and you're saying to yourself well he's never been involved with the children in the past or during the marriage it's more likely than not that he's going to get a significant amount of parenting time with the children so that's also an expectation um that, that you need to keep in check as well
2: and a surprise i bet
1: it, to, to a lot of people it is
2: yeah, yeah. suddenly they want to be <laughs> want to be a hands-on dad so that's um, why now yeah, so and uh... Okay, so if you didn't have any kind of, let's say, you just you both could afford to do this, and you're going to move forward with it, what's the typical amount of time that you, you know, from the time you meet the attorney, you hire the attorney, what can you expect? Obviously, everything has glitches, but if it runs relatively smooth along the process, time-wise, from filing to actual divorce,
1: you know, that depends on on how the case goes. If let's say that the two parties are able to resolve their differences pretty quickly they're not litigating every issue for example you can come up with a settlement agreement very quickly and that's if the parties are cooperating with each other disclosing documents disclosing assets and they're of like minds when it comes to dividing the assets and addressing parenting time issues the cases that take longer are the cases where the spouses are fighting over is certain issues like the division of property or who's going to be responsible for a debt at the end of the day or what the parenting time schedule is going to be.
2: And those, or who's getting the iPod or the, exactly. <laughs> the big screen TV. <laughs>
1: right. Um, those cases take longer. And what I tell people um, in the state of New Jersey, they can take up to a year before you see a trial date. So.
2: And um, do you have to go to trial?
1: You don't have to go to trial, but if you don't resolve the issues either between yourselves with your respective lawyers or through the mediation process, you're going to have to go to court. Right. Because there's no other way of resolving it. So So
2: there's quite a lot to consider before you ask. Um, Now I'd like to turn our attention to what to do after you're served with a divorce complaint. So one day you're at home and the doorbell rings and you think it's the UPS guy and you open the door and and someone says, are you Jane Doe? And you say yes and you've been served. That's right. After you pick yourself up off the floor, what do you do?
1: Well, it's very important that you actively seek an attorney right away you know it's it's really not good to let too much time pass because a lot can transpire in that interim period for example you don't want insurances to be cut off you don't want mortgages to go unpaid you don't want debt to be accumulated you want to, to be proactive and take charge of your life go to an attorney have a consultation interview a number of attorneys if you need to If the first attorney you meet with you don't like or you don't think you have a good rapport with Go out and interview someone else, but get someone on board right away. So
2: again, you're you're sort of repeating that step in, of finding, gathering all the information. And this time, though, you really have to look at it with a, a very careful eye you to do. see if things are missing. Does that happen? I mean, I, you all hear, everybody hears things, but is that really a common thing where money's missing and you can't you know, find how much is in a, a whatever a 401k or some retirement account that suddenly he put into his mother's name or she okay, did. Okay.
1: It's unfortunate. Sometimes that happens before a divorce complaint is filed. You know, people engage in, in divorce planning or they start moving money around. But the good thing is, for the most part, there's a paper trail. So mm-hmm. you can go back and get statements dating back to a year or two years, and hopefully you can find when money's been moved around. And it could
2: be in well. contemplation of the divorce. You could prove mm-hmm. that it was a, like a fraudulent conversion.
1: Absolutely, and that's something that you and your attorney would be working together to discover and to address in connection with either the the final divorce settlement or at trial. So it's important, again, to gather all of the bank documents, to give your attorney account numbers, and to keep track of where the money's gone, either before a divorce complaint is filed or after.
2: So you almost want to do your own accounts receivable and accounts payable. Right spreadsheet to see what what where everything is is everything where it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. and then you can go from there. And once I think you get that baseline, I suppose well it depends upon how how you know acrimonious the the infamous, right. you know the relationship is. So and, and, okay, and
1: if the circumstances require, your attorney may hire an accountant to to go through books and records relating to say a business or certain bank accounts to make sure that money hasn't been moved around or diverted elsewhere. Do you
2: find in your practice that a lot of people are completely blindsided when they get served?
1: Uh, sometimes they are. Uh, sometimes they're just hoping that it's not going to happen as quickly as it, as it does, or their spouse hasn't been honest with them about whether or not they're happy in the marriage, so they are blindsided. But they, even, even though they're upset, they need to take action to protect themselves. They need to hire an attorney. If, in the right case, they need to hire an accountant, they may need to hire a financial planner to go through their budget, but they shouldn't wait because a lot can happen in that interim period.
2: And I think that it's safe to say that if someone has filed divorce papers, mm-hmm. they're pretty much done with the marriage. So, so my advice here would be get moving.
1: Right, get moving. Even if they're not done with the marriage, you still need to take steps to protect yourself, particularly if you have children. You don't want health insurance to be canceled. You don't want your spouse emptying out bank accounts so that you can't pay your bills or put food on the table.
2: Now, that health insurance, we know what a big issue this is, you know, internationally as well, as especially nationally. Right. What can you do to prevent that from happening, from it being canceled or you being taken off the plan?
1: Well, insurance should remain in place until the divorce is finalized. And, you know, it's an important point that you just made, Lucy. Women need to realize that once they're divorced, they cannot remain on their spouse's health insurance plan, okay, by law. So they're going to need to get their own health insurance. So, so is the best
2: that mean, they could possibly do is maybe cobra it for whatever the, the allowable amount of time is, and then they're on their own?
1: That's correct. They can cobra it, but then they're going to be responsible for obtaining their own health insurance, at least as the laws exist today. Hmm. So they'll have to put that in their budget in terms of spousal support and it being an expense that they're going to have to cover, ultimately, when the case is over.
2: And over what about if there are the kids involved?
1: The children can be covered under the spouse's health insurance plan. Okay. But not you as, an, as a former spouse. It's not permitted.
2: So, there, yeah, that's, that's a r- uh, real uh, sticky area for so it many is. reasons. You and know, it's
1: you expensive.
2: Just... Yes.
1: Oprah can be expensive as well. So that's something to keep in mind.
2: So you get the papers. You, you're, you're now, you, you're, you know, you're spinning, you're, you're trying to find out all this information, see if everything's where it's supposed to be. You've, uh, may, you know, do you, I, I, sp- I assume one of the things you should do is maybe order a copy of your credit report to see if what's going on with that. That's
1: if right. you don't
2: do that on a regular basis, which everybody should.
1: Mhm. And that's something that I tell people to do it, even if they're contemplating filing for divorce. You want to get a handle on how much debt has been accumulated and how much de- debt you could be responsible for at the end of the case you want to find out if your spouse has for example incurred debt for which you may be held responsible in the event of a divorce so that's an important thing for for women to do I also think it's important for women to get credit in their own name if they haven't done so during the marriage so that once the divorce happens they're able to use a credit card get a bank account in your own name so that you have that in place as you go through the divorce and, and after the divorce you want to be able to get credit after you're divorced you know,
2: I, I have a cousin who was uh, about 18 months ago served, in, and again, you know, one of these cases you hear that she was blindsided, and she had been working out of the home, not really, you know, in a regular career type position, had no credit of her own, car was in his name, hmm. uh, you know, basically all, the house was in his name, everything. Now, does it matter really whose name things are in, or no. does it matter the fact that you're married and it's been where you've been living?
1: Exactly. It doesn't matter in whose name the asset was acquired. What matters is whether or not it was acquired during the marriage. That's all that matters. So, for example, if a house is owned by only one of the spouses, it doesn't mean that the other spouse isn't entitled to live in the house or isn't entitled to part of the equity in the house. So titling doesn't matter as much as when the particular asset was purchased or or accumulated as it relates to retirement assets at least.
2: Now, what about cars? Does that go for cars, too?
1: Yes, for the most part. I mean, titling of cars can get into a whole uh, different realm of a discussion involving the usage of the car. But in terms of dividing the value of the car, that's correct.
2: What about if it's a lease? Because so many people are leasing.
1: Right. Well, And,
2: and let's say he's serving her, and mm-hmm. the car is leased in the husband's name.
1: Well, that's, that's certainly not an asset. A lease is really a debt, if you think okay. about it. So, in terms of using the car, the the wife can probably use the car during the divorce proceeding. But ultimately, is it? Are you saying is it a car that she could perhaps take over at the end of the case?
2: Well, that was what actually happened to my cousin. She just he said, "Well, the car's in my name. It's leased in my name." And then he he did something with the lease, and she didn't have the car. You know, he was being very, very mean. But um, hopefully,
1: she got a car at the end of the case.
2: She did end up. Well, she it's not over yet. It's still <laughs> going Okay. But we should have had her
1: call you. Um,
2: but, but an she, automobile
1: expense is certainly something that would have to be addressed in terms right. of what needs are. She'll and I mean,
2: you need a car if you're going to have to suddenly go out to work. You have to. Do you think about this.
1: Right. Oh, absolutely. So, so an automobile expense should be included in her budget. And she'll need a car to go to work, and if they have children, she'll need a car to transport the children to and from their activities and so on. So, that's a legitimate issue. Now,
2: what if the spouse who is suggesting uh, or filing uh, for divorce suggests that you share the attorney to save expenses? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, that's not permitted in most jurisdictions. That would be um, a conflict. Certainly, okay. have the same attorney representing both of them. However, mediation may be an option. Both spouses can go to a mediator who acts as a neutral, and that person will try to get the two individuals to come to, a, to an agreement with regard to the financial issues in their case and sometimes even parenting issues. But any qualified mediator or experienced mediator is likely to suggest that both parties have available to them their individual attorneys to ask questions of and to give them some guidance as they go through the mediation process.
2: Now, can you use a mediator, uh, attorney or no, to do a custody settlement?
1: You can you may, you may want to use a mental health expert to address just the custody and parenting issues, and a lot of mental health experts will also serve as a mediator, and that can be quite helpful because they have expertise in dealing with the children and how divorce impacts them and what may be best for the children at the end of the case so I think that's a good idea in a lot of cases. I didn't a, know
2: that you could do that. with Okay, so uh, and what would that be, like a psychologist or...? or
1: a child psychologist. Okay. Therapist maybe, but I, I think a child psychologist would probably be the most appropriate person to use. And some attorneys do address custody and, and parenting time issues as well in mediation.
2: Now, if you're filing for divorce and you have a custody issue, you've got both things going on, right. can you have one finalized without the other, or do they have to be... Done at the same time.
1: No, you can have one finalized without the other, and that's a very good question. <clears throat> Let's just say that the parties can resolve all of their financial issues, but they can't resolve parenting time issues. You know, they both want the child to live or children to live with them full time. That's an issue that can be left for a judge to decide. So they can sort of bifurcate uh, the, the case, if you will, settle all the financial issues and leave custody up to the judge, or perhaps they can resolve their parenting time issues. That's resolved. Custody is not an issue. Parenting time is not an issue, but they can't resolve alimony, child support, or the division of property. The couple can leave that up to a judge to determine at the end of the case. Hmm. It's not on this you. is
2: a lot of good information, Judy. We have two minutes left. Okay. I just want to ask you if there's anything you feel you absolutely must add to what we've been discussing. And um you know, we talked about, obviously, all the financial things, getting a financial advisor, finding uh, the right attorney, getting that information, uh, anything else, words of wisdom.
1: You know, I think it's important for, for women to be proactive and involved in the process. You know, even, even though they may feel as if everything's spiraling out of control and that others are in charge of making decisions regarding parenting time or financial issues or their future, they're really in charge of the decisions relating to their case. The attorney's there to help them to devise a plan of action or a strategy. But at the end of the day, they're really the ones making decisions about their cases. They have to understand that, that they're part of the process. So they need to work closely with their lawyer, be responsive, provide the information that the lawyer needs, because a lawyer can only be as zealous an advocate as mm-hmm. the, client, the client allows them to be by arming them with all of the Relevant information relating to those. So you case. don't want to
2: withhold from your attorney. You don't want
1: to withhold. You want to okay. be responsive, and you want to be proactive. Right. In charge of the situation. Feel as if you know you're the one making the decisions because you really are. The attorney is there to to, to help you along.
2: And it's your life. You you you're things right. are going to change, and you have to accept that. So and the
1: lives of your children. Right. So and and be mindful of how the process impacts your children. You know they shouldn't they shouldn't be involved in the litigation. You shouldn't discuss the issues with, with your children. And you need to make decisions that are in their best interest and to sort of protect them from, from the process to make them feel secure and that they're, they're going to be okay, even though their parents are getting divorced.
2: And I guess that is the time to say that you're, you're, it's, it's a life-changing time and you just have to accept it and do the best you can. And I like what you said about being proactive, that that is really key in all, in all the steps of this. And I I suppose also I I will just say that the attorney is not your psychologist, that you should probably seek out some professional help to help you or yoga or some.
1: And and that's a great point, Lucy, too. And and I I often suggest to my clients that they seek therapy as they go through the process to help them with the stress and to to give them sort of a sounding board.
2: And that's not a selfish thing to do. It's something that All needs right. to be done and, and to take care of yourself. And a lot of women don't do that. Uh, Judy, this has been great. And uh, I it's been so informative. Listeners, you can contact Judy at www.KaziraHearts.com. Again, that's K-O-Z-Y-R-A-H-A-R-T-Z.com. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Lucy. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. It's been great. And listeners, Join us on HereWeAreWithLucy.com. You can link to the show at that site, or you can hear us at Blog Talk Radio uh, at Are. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time where our show is Starting a Company, Choosing a Name That You Can Own with trademark attorney Annie Thunheim. We will see you next time. Thanks for joining us, and good night.